listening to the weekly podcast presented by the Lighthouse Midlothian. For more information, please visit us at www.dfwlighthouse.org. Thank you and God bless. Things, I love what Stephen says, things may be uncomfortable, but God still has a plan for you. Um, and today we're going to talk a little bit what that plan looks like. So I got a question for y'all, and I'm just asking some, some audience participation, all right? When you think of the word religion, what comes to mind? Pharisees, legalism. Plans? He's just like, I, 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 already, I heard Chris say plans. I'm going to say plans. <laughs> Anybody else? When you think of the word religion, what do you think of? Tradition. God's teachings. Anybody else? Rules. Hypocrisy. Huh? Fakeness. Huh? Fakeness? Okay. So... Merriam-Webster defines religion this way. The service and worship of God or the supernatural, that's number one. Number two definition, commitment or devotion to religious faith or observance. Number three, a personal set or institutionalized system of religious attitudes, beliefs, or practices. Number four, scrupulous conformity. Um, for those of you that don't know those $100 words, neither do I. So, number five, <laughs> a cause, principle, or system of beliefs held to with ardor and faith. Now, the Greek word for religion in the New Testament is thriskaia, which means religious worship or religious discipline. Now, thinking about all of those things, I'm going to give you my definition. It's an outward expression of an inner reality. An outward expression of an inner reality. Everyone alive is religious. We all have a set of beliefs which dictate our behaviors from the staunch atheist to the zealous denominationalist. But Chris, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Want to know who else is spiritual? Witches. Don't be a Christian witch. Just saying. That's a whole message for another time, people. As Christians, we have certain beliefs that mold and shape who we are. And whether we like the word religion or not, it is a part of our faith. The reason the word religion gets a bad rap is because we define it according to experience and not according to scripture. So today's message is entitled, Adulting is Hard. <laughs> and God's process of religion is to take us from being a little baby that has to get taken care of to maturity where we can take care of others, all right? 
So we're going to be talking about religion and we're going to be talking about maturity and how those two things correlate. So let me give you some first misconceptions of Christianity. Number one, Christianity is expressed in theological and or political Facebook debates. How many would you say that those are really productive? Have you guys ever engaged in one of those Facebook debates? I mean, I, I, people lost some friends over some Facebook debates, people. Paul tells his spiritual son Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.23, don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another misconception of Christianity is that it is expressed in wearing our faith on our clothes, our stickers, and our body art. Well, let me tell you this, people. If your tattoo says more about your faith than your attitude does, you may need to redefine your Christianity. Another misconception of Christianity is that it is most properly expressed through Christian entertainment, the stuff we listen to, the conferences we go to. But just because you watch God's Not Dead and you go to a Hillsong concert doesn't mean you're a faithful follower of Jesus. In fact, Amos 5, 21 through 24, the message, like, hits me with a shotgun blast. God says, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice, oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all that I want. Another misconception of Christianity is that it's expressed by how many times we read our Bible, how many times we pray, um, or how many times we go to church. But I know some people who rigorously did all of these things but their heart still wasn't right. Because the faith that those things are supposed to produce in in them didn't produce a heart that was right with God. So let's talk about what bad religion is. Bad religion is three things. And these are the three things that a lot of us associate the word religion with. All right, working for love in all the wrong places, working for love. That's right. If you know that song, you're like, Chris, stop singing. That's why you're not on the worship team. That's right. All right. (laughs) Number two, all right, thinking that we're better than everybody else. And you're just like, spiritual pride, got this badge, like, oh, I'm a Christian. Look at me. I'm so good. Or number three, putting on a mask of holiness to hide a dark heart. It's like, oh, Lord, I love you, I love you, but just the night before, we were sleeping around and getting drunk. Well, when I first became a Christian, number two was really a problem for me, thinking you're better than everyone else. Um, My brother and my sister, um, I was just like, okay, well, I have God, so I need to share them with my brother and sister. But I did it in such a way where I was exerting my moral superiority rather than loving them. And so I basically had this attitude of, listen, you have, to, you have to believe what I believe. You have to do what I do because if you don't, you're going to hell. And I thought I was like 
witnessing to them, but what I was doing was causing this huge rift between me and them to the point that me and my brother still don't talk to this day. I have repented time and time again, but because I was so staunch in my bad religion, he was just like, I want nothing to do with your God. So if we, if we, if we understand what bad religion is, let's take a look at what pure religion is. Because the Bible is very clear about what this is in James 1.27. It's three things. Three things. Pure religion. That's why when I say religion, we have to understand what the scripture says. It's taking care of orphans. It's taking care of widows. And it's not letting the world corrupt you. Remember what God says in Amos 5? God wants justice. Oceans of it. And fairness Rivers of it. The two people groups who are treated the most unfairly and are victims of the greatest injustices are orphans and widows. So if you're one of these people that's just like, I love justice, go and take care of an orphan. Go and take care of a widow. And that's just, that's, that's not someone who's just like, oh, dad died or the husband died. All right, there is an orphan spirit. Those whose fathers left home I would consider those orphans. All right, widows, where the, the husband has left. Or you can even say for, for the husband, you know, if the mom has left or the wife has left, it's that spirit that basically makes us alone. No one to fight for us. No one to, to move on our behalf. And the thing is, villainous reprobates Target these people groups because they can control them. Give them a little money, give them a little food, give them a little scraps from your table, and they'll call you daddy. Gimme, 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 daddy. Gimme, 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 daddy. Worse than the Rona is the pandemic of fatherless homes in America. It has killed more people than cancer, more than car accidents, more than racism. Fatherless homes. Let me give you some statistics to support why I say this. 63% of all suicides come from fatherless homes. 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 85% of people with behavior disorders. You know some people with some behavior disorders? I'm one of them. Tony's just like, yes, you are. <laughs> Love you, Tony. 80% of violent criminals come from fatherless homes. 85% of all youth in prison. 71% of high school dropouts. And 90% of adolescent arsonists. Now this one hit home because I actually burned down my house in seventh grade. Some of you are like, why are you preaching? <laughs> what is wrong with you, Chris? Thank God for God's redemption. That's all I can say. We think racism is the worst sin in America. Nothing can be worse than racism. Well, we have two sins that are far worse than racism. When men leave their families to fend for themselves, and when we ignore the plight of single-parent homes. 
No amount of protesting or demonstrating or donations will make up for adopting a single parent family into your world and loving them back to life. We, my family and I, were part of a connect group in Houston. And this was a very tight connect group. I mean, when we, we do trainings on connect group and there's like the, the really bad example, then the really ideal example, like this group was just the ideal connect group. We, were, we loved each other, we lived life together. Well, the leaders of that connect group, what happened, the, the, the dad, the husband, he decided that he was going to be unfaithful and ended up through some, through some situations and some bad choices, they got a divorce. And so we had a choice to make. We could have just let this mom and two daughters defend for themselves. And I could have been just like, oh, poor them, poor them. Or give them money or buy them groceries and pity them. But that's not what we did. In fact, we decided that we were going to adopt them as part of our family. So every single week they would come over for dinner. We would go camping with them. We would take them horseback riding. We would take them to the movies. We did Christmas parties with them. We did Easter parties with them. We, did, we made rap videos with them. We made a rap sushi video. Y'all love some sushi? You don't love sushi until you rap about sushi people, all right? And so this family, like for, for years, we, we had become just a part of them. We didn't pity them. We didn't say, oh, poor you, poor you, and then go back to work doing our own thing. We said, you know what? We're going to live. We're already friends. We're already close. So let's just go through this together. This really sucks, but let's go through this together. For the pure religion requires maturity. It requires us to grow up. You see, if I was still a child... I could not give this mother and her two daughters what they needed, all right? A baby needs their diapers changed. The baby needs to be fed. If I was still a baby in Christ, I would not be able to spiritually give them what they needed. You see, maturity we, gives us the ability to reproduce Christ in others. That only happens when we're grown up. Maturity means that we can provide for families, the orphans and the widows, our own family. We can't do that unless we're grown up. We cannot take responsibility for our own lives, saying yes to God and no to the world system unless we are grown up. We have so many baby people that are babies that say they love God that are just still in this state of gimme, 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 gimme. And the Lord's just like, in this pandemic, in this 2020 season, the Lord's saying, it's time to grow up. Adulting is hard, but it's time to adult. It's time to take some responsibility. It's time to reproduce Christ in others. For the remainder of this discussion, Let's define, let's define adult or grown-up as childlike, all right? And we're going to look at a few scriptures on why I say this. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7 says, Love is patient, love is kind, 
It is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Raise your hand if you want to be loved like that. <laughs> well, it's really intriguing to me. Just a few verses down in verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 13, it says, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. So Paul's saying there is this thing of like, we have to grow up. Well, what does that mean in terms of being childlike? Well, Matthew 18, verses three and four, Jesus said this. I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's a difference between being childish and being childlike. And we're going to break, break that down a little bit. Let's talk about the childish adult. All right, the childish adult, this is, we'll call this bad religion. Everybody say bad religion. Bad religion says, I need attention. Focus on me, 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 me. All right, bad religion, the childish adult also says, I'm too important to care about what's going on with you. All I care about is what's going, going on with me. All right, childish adults, the bad religion, childish adult says, it's all about me. And I'm not going to give you anything in return. All right, I'm going to take and I'm going to take and I'm going to take and I'm going to take, but I'm going to do nothing to contribute back. Well, let's talk, let's talk about the childlike adult. This is pure religion. Pure religion says, I want to give you my time because I care about you. You're important to me. How can I invest in your life? As far as I'm concerned, it's all about you. Some of you know my story and some of you don't. So I'm going to give you a, a brief synopsis of how I grew up. So my dad, he was a con man, a professional con man that married women for their money. And then when they wised up, he, um, the women would leave and he would go off to another woman. So I grew up without my dad. And then my mom was mentally disabled, raising four kids on her own. So we grew up very poor. All right. I had neglect, verbal abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. Every abuse you can think of was thrust upon me just because of our living situation. And the state psychologists did not help me. They were the bad religion because they were just punching their card. And a lot of times, I actually had a large disdain for psychologists because a lot of them were just like, it's about me. Let me see how I can fix you. Let me see how I can put more credentials into, into my pocketbook. All right? CPS didn't help me. All right? They gave us bikes at Christmas time. I got my first uh, video game console about my Super Nintendo from CPS. That's, I, I blame my video game addiction on CPS, people. <laughs> Oh, 
all right? Well-meaning religious people throwing their pity at me did not help me. People voting or lobbying for poor families, they didn't help me either. Yeah, someone may have donated a million dollars to an organization, but when it came time for me living my own life, dealing with my own issues, that million dollar donation somewhere out there in the ether had no bearing on my life. It was people that God put in my path who had true religion, pure religion, and loved me back to life. When we left my dad, I was four years old, and my grandparents, they acted as really our foster parents because it wasn't until we moved from Colorado to California that my mom's mental disorder really started to manifest and she was in and out of the mental institution. And so they were actually, like by the state definition, our foster parents for a time. They were the ones that took care of us. They could have been like, well, I'm, I'm past child rearing years. Our kids are all grown up and out of the house. But they didn't do that. They said, we love you. Now they were committed Lutherans. And I grew up, most of my formative years in their Lutheran church. And honestly, I couldn't tell you a lick of what the Lutheran doctrine is. But I can tell you my grandparents loved me. By the time I got to junior high and high school, I befriended this guy who later became the best man at my wedding. And his mom, she was like Betty Crocker on steroids, people. All right? We were living off of food stamps and government cheese and government peanut butter and uh, some 50-pound bag of chocolate donut mix that I still don't understand to this day. <laughs> but my friend's mom, whoo, man, she'd be making steaks. And, like, this was, like, Tuesday night dinner. This wasn't, like, fancy stuff. She was just like, I just love my family. And then when my friend brought me home, she was just like, hey, Chris, you want to become part of our family? Yeah. <laughs> They got food. <laughs> she taught me, she gave me a love for cooking. I had, I couldn't cook for anything, and she taught me how to cook. Um, my friend's dad taught me work ethic. Before him, I was as lazy as you could possibly think a lazy person could be. But, his, but we, would, we would dig trenches over there, and like, basically his dad would be like, do you want some of we want some of mama's cooking? Yes, sir, yes, sir. Well, you gotta help me dig a trench. Yes, sir, yes, sir. <laughs> and me and my buddy, we'd be digging trenches. We would build up walls. Um, we like uh, little walls for the for the yard. Um, like we, he basically taught me how what a man was to look like. How does a man take care of his family? How does a man provide love to his family? How does a man get past those feelings of, I want to quit to, to do the right thing? So I had my grandparents. I had my best friend and his family. Then when I moved to Texas, everybody said, I love Texas. I love Texas. I'm, I'm the poster child for the bumper sticker that says, I wasn't born here, but I got here as soon as I could, people. <laughs> love my Texas. And I'm from California. Y'all are like, ooh, but California is so beautiful. Yes, but Texas freedom, baby. All right. <laughs> 
It's easy to preach to Texans, you know. <laughs> I share this in California. They're like, boo, queen of refuge, queen of filth. If you know that movie reference, it's good. If you don't, it's okay. All right. So my next people that I like really, that really took me in were Christina's parents. Like they, I was a loser at 19 years old, people. I was angry. I had an orphan spirit. I thought everybody rejected me, so I would reject them first. I was awful to people. I, like, people are like, well, I was bullied. I, I was the bully. <laughs> I made people feel awful about themselves. Like, looking back on it, I'm just like, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He saved me from so much. But my in-laws, they were the first, like, people that were, that in my mind were, like, super authentic about like their faith and how and living it out and living with, living with the Holy Spirit empowering them. And they were really like, they discipled me into Christ. I didn't become a Christian until after I was married. And it was because of their influence where my brother looks at my religion and he's just like, I want nothing to do with you. I looked at my in-law's religion. I was just like, I want that. That's what I want. Bad religion creates childish adults because of fear. Pure religion creates childlike adults because of love. Love draws us close to God and others. Fear pushes us away from God and others. So let's go back to the love list of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Let's see how this applies. So it says love is patient. So what does the childlike adult say? It says, I can wait because my father knows the best timing. So when it says love is patient, it's about our relationship with the father. The childlike person doesn't have an orphan spirit. The childlike person says, I can trust God. The childish person says, I need it now because I cannot trust my father will give it to me. When it says love is kind, the childlike person says, I'll use kind words because I have love in my heart. The childish person says, I use ugly words because my heart's filled with fear. When it says love is not jealous, the childlike person says, my, my father provides all that I need so I can be content. The childish person says, I do not trust that my father is a good provider so I always want what I cannot have. Love is not boastful. The childlike person says, I don't need to boast in my achievements because my father deserves all the credit. I don't need the accolades of men because I have the love of my father. The childish person says, I want all the attention on me because I care more about the accolades of men. I don't care what my father thinks. Love is not proud. The childlike person says, I know my father is great and I lean on his greatness. The childish person says, I got a chip on my shoulder because I lean on my own strength. Been there, done that. Love does not demand its own way. The childlike person says, I want to do it my father's way. The Burger King childish person says, I want it my way. Love is not irritable. The childlike person says, I don't need to respond in anger because my father has been good to me. 
Childish person says, I get angry because I feel like my father has done me wrong. Without a show of hands, just be thinking to yourself, how many times have you felt disappointed by God and you felt like your father in heaven has done you wrong? And it creates a fear, creates a childishness in us. Love keeps no record of wrongs. The childlike person says, I forgive because my father consistently shows me examples of forgiveness. The childish person says, I hold grudges because I don't know how to accept forgiveness from my father. Love does not rejoice in injustice. Childlike person says, I do not take delight in sin because my father has shown me a better way. While the childish person says, I glory in my sin because I reject my father's teaching. Love rejoices in truth. Childlike person says, I I delight in my father's teachings. I I recognize it as truth and trust my father's words are true. Childish person says, I hate my father's teachings because I don't believe anything he says is true. He's disappointed me too many times. Love bears all things. I choose not to speak ill of my father. Childish person says, I'll say whatever I want. Love believes all things. Childlike person says, I believe everything my father tells me. There's an old saying that says, the Bible said it, I believe it, whether I agree with it or not. The childish person says, I challenge everything my father tells me. I'm a naturally inquisitive person. And for a long time, I was always bucking against authority because I didn't believe anything anybody said. I had so, such ingrained issues with not trusting people that even people that had really good things to offer me, what are you trying to sell me? Are you trying to get me involved in MLM? No, not here, people. Love is always hopeful. Childlike person says, I have hope for a better future because my father makes me feel secure. Childish person says, I am pessimistic about the future because I feel insecure. Love endures every circumstance. The childlike person says, I can endure all things because my father gives me his strength, which has no limitations. The childish person says, I give up when times are tough because I lean on my own strength, which has limits. So based on this love list, there is a clear defining line between the childish person that we need to put away and the childlike adult that needs to rise up in our lives. There's three hard truths that I kind of, if you boil this down to three things, here's the hard truths that I came up with that we need to kind of keep mindful of. Children whine and complain when they don't get their way. You guys know a baby? Babies cry because they don't know any other way to communicate that they need to be fed or that their diaper needs to be changed. All right? And it's just, I'm not even saying it's a negative thing. It's just a natural instinct of that baby. But when you're 30 years old and you're still crying for your diaper to get changed, that ain't cute no more. Grown-ups, we take a deep breath, and we just keep moving forward. It's okay. It's okay. This thing happened. It's not my way, but I'm going to keep moving forward. Hard truth number two, children are selfish and do not show gratitude. 
Now, I'm not talking about age. I'm talking about attitudes, all right? Please understand that distinction because there are some very mature six-year-olds that are like, Mommy, I love you, and I thank you, and you gave me a Snickers, and I feel so loved. Woohoo! You know? But I'm talking about the attitude of a child, all right? Children are selfish and do not show gratitude. Adults or grown-ups, they give honor to whom honor is due. Like, silent gratitude does nobody any good. If, you, if someone is important to you, don't just simply keep it to yourself. Let them know, hey, you've made an impact in my life. Thank you so much. Hard truth number three. Children give up at the first sign of trouble. It's so hard. It's so hard. I can't do it no more. Grown-ups persevere despite difficult circumstances. So let's start wrapping this up. There's a reason why 1 Corinthians 13 discusses faith, hope, and love. These are the markings of someone who has an intimate relationship with God and a healthy relationship with other people. Adulting really isn't that hard. All it requires is faith, hope, and love. It means that we put our trust in God, we believe that our future is secure in him, and we love him the way an innocent young child loves his or her parents. Then and only then are we in a place to exercise pure religion because we are no longer childish. We've become childlike and we have something to give rather than just spewing up all of our bad religion. It's about saying yes to Jesus and no to the agendas and personal feelings outside of his will for our lives. You see, this week, you can cast your vote. You can lobby for your favorite candidate. You can get into deep conversations with people about, about policies and values that are meaningful to you. You can research your political platforms and get involved in the government process. But if your Christianity stops with your vote, you failed as the church. We have to understand that we vote values but then, after November 3rd, we still need to look like Christians. No matter who wins the election, we as adulting, childlike Christians need to take a deep breath and be patient, be kind, be content, be humble, be at peace, be forgiving, be merciful, be honest, be faithful, be hopeful, be strong. If President Trump wins, I am still a Christ follower. If former Vice President Biden wins, I am still a Christ follower. I try very hard not to allow any election, any political party, any social media post, any news report, or any personal disagreement influence the condition of my heart. My heart belongs to Jesus, not to my personal politics. And for those of you that know me personally, you know that I love politics. And if you want to know my opinions on stuff, you know, let's go out to lunch sometime. But here, we need to understand that Jesus is king. Besides, your pure religion is not exercised at the voting booth. Your pure religion is exercised by taking care of the orphan and the widow, by not allowing yourself to be corrupted by the world. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, go to church. Yes, pray. 
Yes, do all those things that Christians do, but don't let them be empty gestures. Don't allow them to be just check marks on your to-do list. Believe me, I've been there. It's a huge temptation when you live a busy life. Oh, have my time with God today. And God says, am I really just a check mark to you? I have made it, my wife and I, we have made it our life's calling, our life's purpose, our drive to read the word of God and believe it and let it get inside of us. So when we read what pure religion was, it became a part of our DNA to take care of the widows and orphans. It became a part of our DNA to see someone that's going through some stuff who's being marginalized, to go up to them, take a helping hand, not out of pity, but simply, hey, I love you. Let's do life together. Would you all please stand with me? I believe this is one of those things that we cannot just simply say, oh, that was good, and then go back to our regular lives. I believe every time we get a word from the Lord, it's like that. But this is an action step. When I disciple or mentor people, I give them action steps hey, here's something you can do right now to put this into action. And I believe that there are people in your sphere of influence that need what you have. That need what you have. And some of you are doing it already, and that's awesome. But don't simply walk past them again without letting them know the Father loves you without letting them know that they're important to the Father. Pure religion is so much more than just showing up. It's about investing our hearts because God invested his into us. So we're going to do communion a little different today. We have the communion elements over here to my left. And I want you to grab the element, take it back to your seat, but hold on to it. While the worship team does a song, I just want you to hold your cup in front of you and ask the Lord, in what ways can I exercise your heart in my world? Then after the song, we will take communion all together at once. Usually we'll separate into to pockets of families and friends. But today, with everything going on in our nation, in our families, our communities, it's important for us to connect as one body. So during this song, ask, Lord, how can I communicate your heart to my world? And then we'll take communion.